and this verse is very familiar, and you know what this verse is. You've heard it probably, and you've heard it from me probably uh, a thousand times. But listen to what it says, Romans 10, 9. It says that if we will confess Christ as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. But once again, if we will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, that Christ, that believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you for the message you've laid upon our hearts. And I pray simply, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight. For you're our strength, you're our redemption, Father, you're our everything. And we can't, we can't uh, do this without you. Lord, be with us today, and I pray simply that the Holy Spirit would speak to us. And we ask that in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I just wonder how many times we've, we've used this verse in leading someone to Christ. That we've sat with them, and, and, and God has taken their heart and made it tender where that we could plant the seed. And as we did that, if, you, if you've ever really practiced yourself, and I, that's what I'd recommend, you go home and get in front of the mirror and you practice about how to, how to present the gospel to other people. And there's a lot of ways. Evangelism explosion that I really like that was D.J. Kennedy's thing. But, but then there's also what we call the Roman road. And, and, and the reason they call it the Roman road is because of the fact that all the verses are in Romans. For instance, it starts off with Romans 3.23. What does that say? You ought to know that. All, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Then it goes to 6.23, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Then we go to Romans 5.8 that says, uh, but, but God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, and then we can go to like 10.13, Romans 10.13 that says, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then we come to 10.9. And there's a difference in 10.9 and all these other verses. And we could go, we could go to some place like John 3.16. God, you know that verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believe in him shall not perish. Uh, but have eternal life. We could go to John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Uh, we could go to Revelation 3, 20, that says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If any man hears my voice, will open the door. I will come in and, and sup with him and he with me. And Jesus says, I want to come home and live with you. And, and so, uh, so we could go to all these verses, but, but 10... But why is it that the verse that God is, that we use for salvation, why is it that God took uh, Revelation 10.9 and included it in the, res in the resurrection? Because that's what it says, that if we will confess Christ with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. What is it about? That we have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead, that means something to us. Because there's a difference here. From all these verses, it says that, that if, if we confess, but this says if we believe that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. Or, 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 do you, you know, or he's really asking us, do you believe in the resurrection? One of the things we know that the resurrection separates Jesus from all other. I hate it when they talk about religion. And they take Christianity and they put Buddhism and Hinduism and all those together. I hate it. Because Christianity is not a religion. It's, it, a religion is mankind trying to get to heaven. 
Christianity is a relationship between you and Jesus. God coming to us. He came to seek you. He came to seek uh, that which was lost. And we go over to someplace like Luke 15 and all those three things in there. The word talks about, it talks about a lost sheep. It talks about a lost coin. It talks about a lost son. And what's the whole purpose of Luke 15? The whole purpose of Luke 15 is it's not about us. It's about the Father. That's what Jesus is talking about. How the Father wants you to be saved so much that he seeks after you. But here we come to 10.9 and he includes the resurrection. Now most folks don't have a problem understanding that Jesus died on the cross and in the crucifixion for our sins. Jesus took my place. He died for my sins. And on the cross, he was paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. I don't want to let that go. He was paying the penalty for your sins and my sins. He literally, you know, you think about it. 2 Corinthians 5.21. What does it say? It says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Well, what was he saying? Jesus literally became my sins. Every filthy, lousy, dirty thing I've ever done in my life, Jesus became that. But he was not just becoming, becoming my sins, he was becoming the sins of the entire world. But how does the resurrection apply to salvation? When we talk of the resurrection, we can go to some place like John 11, verse 25 and 26. And Jesus, he's talking to Mary and Martha. And they both had said the same thing that we refer to the Lord many times. Because we get upset when our prayers are not immediately answered. And, and she looks at the Lord, and Martha first, and then Mary. They look at the Lord and they said, Lord, they both say the same thing. Lord, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus does something at this point that you've got to understand that, that is pro paramount in us coming to a place of living the Christian life. Jesus says to her, he says, I am the resurrection. He didn't say, well, the resurrection is going to take place. He says, no, here's the resurrection standing right here with you right now. I am the resurrection. You say, Lee, I don't have any peace in my life. You know why you don't have any peace in life? Because he is your peace. He's the peace. I give unto him my peace. You say, well, I, you know, Lee, I just don't feel like I have the power to live the Christian life. Well, what does it say? I can do all things through what? Through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, well, I, well, you know, Lee... Uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I know the Lord tells me to be obedient. Why is that? Because bringing every thought into captivity to what? To the obedience of Jesus. So He is everything. So if you're having trouble in your life, you're having trouble living the Christian life, it's because He is not who He ought to be in your life. That's the difference. That's what God was talking about when He was going to take your old stony heart. And, and change it and make it soft and whatever that you're able to do things. Why is that? Because he becomes everything. That's why Paul says over in Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live. I, I've been crucified. He says I've been crucified with Christ, but it's no longer I who live, but Christ Jesus that lives within me. And listen to this. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How's the Christian life? What's the Christian life? It's, it's letting Christ out. This, this is why Luke, it's why John 15 is so important, learning how to abide in him. That's it. 
So Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks him this, do you believe this? Do you believe this? Or how about John 14, verse 19? Jesus says this, because I live, this latter part of this, because I live, you will live also. You know? When I die, it's going to be like going to sleep. I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to wake up because the Bible, and it gets who's the first person I'm going to see. The first person I'm going to see is Jesus. Because the Bible says to be absent in this body is to be what? Present with the Lord. I look up, there's Jesus. I don't believe in soul sleep. You say, but the Bible says we go to sleep. No, your body goes to sleep. Your spirit and your soul, who you really are, they go straight to be with the Lord. And who's the next people we see? Well, think about this. The Bible says over in the book of Hebrews, 11th chapter, there's this great cloud of witnesses waiting for us. And man, I'm so glad I trust Jesus because I've read all kinds of the last words. I've, I, you know, I've, I've read all kinds of things, the last words of people before they die. I've got a book at home called The Black Box. And The Black Box is that box they put in airplanes that that records everything that's happening in that airplane for a certain period of time. And especially when they, if they crash, they, put, they go looking for that black box. They pull that black box out, and it's got a recording of everything they were doing in that airplane. It's got all the instruments in there, everything. But it's also got their last words. The last words. And I'm afraid that many of the last words of a lot of people that are in an airplane crash, and the pilots especially in there in the cockpit, you can't even repeat some of the words. You know, I heard not long ago that, that, uh, that a great percentage of the people in the north, when they're about to have a fatal accident or something, they've recorded their words, and what they say, they say something like, oh my God, is what they say. They say those people from down south, though, when they get 85% of the people from down south, when they have an accident or something, they say this, watch this. <laughs> that's the difference people say well the resurrection Jesus conquered death and he did and because he lives I will live also and that's true but, but why does the Lord inspire the apostle Paul to write if we believe that God raised him from the dead thou shalt be saved why, does he, why, does this, why is that in there because it, the, the resurrection separates Jesus from everybody else. I understand it. But why is that included? And even he goes on to write in Romans 4.25, it says this, He was delivered up because of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, it says he was delivered for our offenses. In other words, our offenses are our sins. So he was delivered for our sins... But the resurrection, he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. Thus, if he was raised again for our justification, what does that mean? What does that mean? Paul gives us three reasons. Romans, go to chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Chapter 4, 18. He says this, who in contrary to hope and hope believe, so that he became the father of many nations. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about Abraham. Paul's going to connect Abraham 
with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So contrary to hope and hope of belief, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be, uh, and, and be not weak in faith. He did not consider his own body already dead. It's talking, once again, it's talking about Abraham. Since he was about 100 years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb, verse 20, and he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith by giving glory to God uh, and being fully convinced that what he was promised, he was also able to perform. And then verse 22 and therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. We know that Abraham believed God was counted to him for righteousness. Okay, let's, let's stay with this a minute. But then he compares with Abraham having a child in old age of, to Jesus and the resurrection. Because listen to what he says over in verse 23. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. So he's saying this was written for you and I. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord Jesus Christ, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So what's he mean? So what's, what is the point? This is an expansion of Romans 4, verse 17. Look what it says. As written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who he believed God, who gives life to the dead... And cause those things which do not exist as so, as so they did. The Apostle Paul saw the regeneration of Abraham's body as a picture of the resurrection from the dead. Then he relates it to the resurrection of Christ. Now why is that? One reason why God delayed, delayed in sending. We know the story of Abraham, how that he and and Sarah wanted a, wanted a child. And we know that, that Sarah came up with a scheme that she would hand Hagar, her, her handmaid, to Abraham, and they would have a child through him. And then after it happened, then she resented. And that's, that's how we are. We do things out of, out of the will of God. And then when we do something out of the will of God, then we end up, it turns, we resent it in, in many ways. And so... One reason why God delayed in sending Abraham and Sarah, but here, yeah, this is the question. Why is it that he waited? He could have given them a son anytime he wanted to. He, they could have had a baby when they first got married or whatever. They could have had a son, and he could have been the promise. Why didn't God just do it that way? One reason why God delayed in sending Abraham and Sarah a son was to permit all the natural strength to decline and then disappear. See, that's the problem you and I have. We think we can do things in our own strength. God waited until it was almost an impossibility for them to have a child. It was unthinkable that a man 99 years old could beget a child in the womb of his wife who was 89 years old. That just ain't going to happen. And from a reproduction point of view, both of them were dead. They were dead. But Abraham did not walk by sight. He was dead, and yet he, he didn't walk by sight. He walked by faith, and what God promises, he performs. And he promised him a son. 
And he, you know, sometimes I think, oh, you got to have fun. But listen, even Sarah laughed at God. And God even asked Sarah, what are you laughing for? You know, she tried to lie and say, well, I didn't laugh. He said, yes, you did. Yes, you did. We all, all we need to do is believe. Abraham's faith was first recorded in Genesis 15, but it did not diminish in the years that followed. It was his faith that gave him strength to beget a son in his old age. It was all by faith. Thus, here's the connection. When it comes to salvation, the application here is clear. And what is it? God must wait until the sinner is dead and unable to help himself before he can release the salvation and power. There's got to come a place in your life and my life where we die to sin. As long as we think we can help ourselves, as long as we think we're good enough, as long as we think we can do something to save ourselves, as long as we think we can keep the law, as long as we think whatever it is that we can do, that we're just going to partner with God, that God can't do a thing in our life. It's only when we are willing to die to our sins, die to our own strength. And we hear the words of Jeremiah, Jeremiah, not Jeremiah, but but Zechariah when he says, It's not by might nor by power, but by my presence, saith the Lord. As long as the lost sinner thinks he's strong enough to do anything to please God, he cannot be saved by grace. Grace is a gift. It was when Abraham admitted that he was dead that God's power began to work in his body. And the moment that you and I bow on our knees and say, Lord, I can't save myself. I'm lost. I'm a sinner. Will you save me? That's when God's work goes to work in your life. It's when the lost sinner confesses that he's spiritually dead and unable to help himself that God can be saved. And you know, doesn't the Bible say, doesn't it tell us over in the book of Ephesians that when, when you and I, it, it, uh, when you and I, if if when, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. This is Romans, uh, Romans 5, uh, 5.10. Reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. If he did that while we were lost, what can he do now in our life that we're resurrected? That he is resurrected. The resurrection power comes into our life. So, you know... It was when Abraham admitted that he was dead that God's power went to work in his body. It's when lost sinners confesses he's spiritually dead. The gospel, the Bible according to Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen, if Jesus didn't resurrect, you and I have no hope. What we're doing here today doesn't mean anything. But because, because, because of the resurrection of Jesus, that power comes to us. Jesus Christ was delivered up to die on account of our offenses, and he was raised because of our justification. And this means that the resurrection of Christ is the proof that God accepted his son's sacrifice. Now, this is important. Because you see, when I read the scriptures, it continually talks to me about his righteousness. It's not your righteousness. It's his righteousness. 
But how do we know? How do we know that our sins are forgiven? How do we know? How do we know that God accepted what Jesus did on the cross? It means that the resurrection of Christ is the proof that God accepted his son's sacrifice and that now sinners can be justified without God violating his own nature. Well, I'm sure that Satan was all the time saying, look, these people are sinning. What are you going to do? about? You you know, your law says they're to die. Isn't that not the Pharisees when they caught the woman who was in the actual act of committing adultery? And they look at her and they say, well, you know what Moses taught? Moses taught that she should be stoned. But what do you say? In other words, God had to be justified in what he did. He's holy. He's righteous. He's pure. He, you know, and he's got to be able to do these things and know that what he's doing is right. He, can't, he will not turn his back on. He will, he, you know, he will not just let sin just go out, the, just slide. It's got to be taken care of, and that's why Jesus came. So there it is, the resurrection that provided justification. And justification meant God could be God and, and, and not violate his nature. He could forgive us and not go back on his word or betray his perfection. The key is if we believe. That's the key. The righteousness given to those who believe. Listen to what it says in Romans 3.22. It says, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference. And, and then it tells us that we're justified by faith in Romans 5.1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God is what it says. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ who died for us and rose again. Our our object of our faith is not the law. It's not us living a perfect life. No, the object of our faith is Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus died for our sins to redeem us. And he was raised from the dead to justify us to be an advocate for our sins. See, when Jesus died on the cross, your sins were forgiven. But we still committed those things, didn't we? He forgave us. But you see, when Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection, now God justifies us. What does that mean? To be just as if you had never sinned. Through the resurrection, what Jesus did, overcoming death and everything, God now comes and he justifies you that when he looks at you, he not only has forgiven you, but he now can declare you absolutely, totally righteous. As if you had never sinned. And God did all this with you and for you. And then sometimes we say, oh, I just don't know whether I'm saved. Come on. Or we go back over. I don't know how we go with Joe Biden way. But, you know, but, but, you know we go on and go back. Well, I wonder if it's a, you know, sometimes I don't feel safe. Don't feel, feel. I, I hear Christians use this feel, feel, feel. Listen, this is what we're supposed to do. It's his word. And what Jesus has said, that his word will endure forever. What's he said to you? 
So Jesus died for our sins to redeem us. He was raised from the dead to justify us, to have us. And the, and the Bible says in Micah 7, 19, He will again have compassion on us and will subdue our iniquities. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. What does that mean? Into the, into the sea of forgetfulness. I, I'm not only forgiven, my sins are forgotten by the Lord. He doesn't bring them up. But he puts them in a place that there's no danger of anybody looking at them, digging them up, or talking about them ever again. The old Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Yeah, he'll come and tell you about them. But the Lord, it's gone. So why do you bring him up? He even asks you this question. He asks you the question, what profit have you now in those things which you're ashamed of? Why are you even bringing those things up? They're gone. Why should you even bring them up? Why should you bring them up? And so based on the finished work at Calvary, every sin you've ever committed or committing or will commit is forgiven, forgotten, out of sight. That's forgiveness. That puts us in that position of forgiveness, that justification. You're justified. You're just because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans 4, 25 says, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So Jesus went to the cross so you could be forgiven. And after he, after he forgave you, he rose from the dead so that you could be pronounced un, not guilty. Just as if you'd never sinned. That's how important the resurrection is. It's not just that we're going to live forever, and that's true. The resurrection provided proof that God had accepted the sacrifice of his son would be able to be that he would able to be just that God because he's so holy and pure and righteous could still be just and just justify the ungodly and Romans 3:26 says to demonstrate at this present time his righteousness listen to this that he that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ that he might be just. See, the resurrection was not just for you. It was for him. That when he speaks, he can be just and the justifier. That when he pronounces you not guilty, nobody can come and say, no, no, that's not right. You're just let I know we, sometimes we got judges and other people that will do things and they'll pass over somebody and say, oh, we'll let it go because they know the part. No, not God. But he can be just. He can be the justifier of those people that come by faith in Jesus Christ. And once we give it to him, because of the resurrection, he pronounces you, uh, you're forgiven, but he also pronounces you not guilty. And some of us look at our life sometime and we think, man, if I could just do all that over again. Well, guess what? The Lord's going to give you a, what they call it in golf when you, I don't know what it's Mulligan. He'll give you a mulligan. He loves you. Start again. Now, let me, let me close this way. You know, and I've used this illustration before, but it's a good illustration, so I'm going to use it again. Good teachers repeat themselves, so I must be a good teacher because I repeat a lot of stuff. Let's say you get in trouble and you got to go to court. So you go to court and the judge looks at you and he tells you that, that, uh, that your sentence is six months in jail. You've got to go to jail for six months. And you look at the judge and you say, Judge, I, I just can't do this. I can't do six months. And he says, well, why can't you do six months? He says, this is going to create a hardship for me on my business. You should have thought of that before, I know. But 
but, uh, but this is going to create a hardship for my business and, and, and along with other things. And, and if I go away for six months, my business will fold up. And the judge just looks at you and he starts to think about it and he has mercy on you. And so he looks at you and he says, well, here's what I'll do. He says, you know, if you can find somebody that will take your place uh, and serve your six months, I will allow you to substitute that person for you as long as that six months are finished and that sentence is paid. I'll let you do that. So he, you go out and, and, and you find this guy that's willing to go to jail for you for six months. And you got to pay him. <laughs> I mean, you got to pay him. You're paying him several thousand dollars for him to go for six months to, to serve your sentence for you. So he goes and he serves his sentence for you for six months. And so he's in there, okay? Let me ask you this question. How do you know when your time is up? How do you know that you have paid your, your, the sins that you did or the breaking of the law? You, how do you know when, when, when you're free from that? It's no longer there. How do you know? When you see that guy outside the jail walking around. How do you know that your sins are forgiven? Because Jesus was walking around after the, after the tomb. Do you understand? And it was not only for you that he did this, to show you that your sins are absolutely, totally forgiven, but he also did it for God the Father. He did it for the joy of it, because there are two things that God wanted. I, I believe that Jesus went to the cross, and he died for you the resurrection, and he did it for two reasons. One was, he did it, for the, the Bible says, for the joy of it. And what was the joy of it? He wanted to please his Father. But the second reason was this. He did it for you. So that one of these days, when you're in heaven, and you wake up, and, you, and there stands the Lord, and you're heaven, <coughs> and you look behind Jesus, and I wonder if your family's not standing back there, and they're all peeping around like this, and they're grinning. And Jesus said, well, y'all just stay back there a minute. I want to talk to him first. I'm going to talk to him first. And, and, and there's your mom. And there's your dad. You know? When D.L. Moody was dying, the great evangelist, and he was on his deathbed, and they came to him and they said to him, he, he, was, he was talking about all these people he was seeing. These people he was seeing. And and, and his son said, Dad said, you're, you're hallucinating. So don't lose. And, and, and then he spoke up and he said, Nope, I'm not. And he looked, he rolled over, looked at his wife, and he said, I have seen, because he had, he had like three or four grandchildren that died. He said, I have seen the children's faces. I've seen the children's faces. And then he, when he, one of his last words was, Oh, what glory. Oh, what glory. Had a friend that his mother-in-law had a mother-in-law had a, uh, a a really good friend, and and she, they were inseparable. They'd grown up together, and everything. So, but when his mother-in-law got really sick, when he got really sick, uh, this other lady also got sick, and she died. 
So because his mother-in-law was so sick, they decided not to tell her about this other lady being died. And they said the day that she died, she was calling out and she was talking about all these people she was seeing. She was seeing. And they, they said, you know, we just thought she was hallucinating. Wasn't there. And so all of a sudden she looked over at us and says, well, there's called this lady's, whatever her name was, looked at her and called her and said, well, there's one's name. What's she doing up there? I pray that you give your heart to Jesus if you haven't already. I think, I think we're living in a time that's going to be one of the toughest times for us as Christians. For us. And I think if we don't really learn how to really walk with him and learn how he is, our, he is everything to us, we're going to have a hard time making it. I think we're going to be, I think there's coming a time very soon that things are going to be different. And what do you mean by being differently? I mean, your family members, your friends, your other people, are you're going to start seeing them slipping away. Because Jesus said that. He said, in the last days, the love of many was going to wax cold. And, and it's going to be a thing like what he talks about over in the book of John where he said, many went back and followed him no more. We're going to see this, guys. I know right now we're on a honeymoon period and the Lord has blessed us and we've had good crowds and everything. I don't know how many we're going to have today. And I don't count numbers. We, this is why you don't look in this church and you don't see a board that tells how many numbers we got. We've never done that. You know, David got in trouble numbering the people. You know, devil can get a crowd together anytime he wants. You know? So we got to be careful about it. Wow, well, we got this many, you know, or, or we got them, you know, whatever. But, you know, and the Lord has given us this building. Praise God that he has. But here's what he's wanting to see. He's wanting to see what you and I are going to do with it. And I can't do it by myself. I cannot. It's got to be you that we as a congregation come together and do the things that we need to do. It's got to be. Some of you, I appreciate so much because you work yourself to death here. You're always here. You're doing things. But we need to bring everybody together. We need to bring everybody step up and say, Lee, what can I do? And I've got something happening. We're going to do it here in just, uh, as soon as Easter's over with, I'm going to start getting committees together. And committees together is one we're going to do. The first thing we're going to do, we're going to start bagging up stuff. And those bagging stuff are going to have, it has a Jesus movie in it. It has a track in it. It's going to have a letter in it from our church, times and all that. And we have over a thousand of them. And I can get more. <laughs> I can get more and we're going to go door to door hand them out just being nice to people say hey and we're going to cover this whole area you know and we're going to see what happens but I believe with all my heart that's what God wants to do you say Lee I don't know what I can do you can do that can you go walk up to home and hang something on a doorknob sure you can and who knows maybe you'll get good enough at it that when somebody comes up and says what are you doing and you can sit there and give them your testimony. You have a testimony. Do you know that? Nobody has a testimony like your testimony. And you can talk about what you can do. What God's done in you, for you, in your life. Your life. Well, we're going to have a verse of invitation. And if there's